It might surprise you that this episode is quite light on more Election 2020 fallout. There's still stuff to do there, but not a ton. I want to start here instead. We're moving into this holiday season. Let's get ready for it on the Core Drew Act Show. This is the best thing, the best thing that could be get the more cognizant I become of this fact. I often let life happen to me. I let the calendar happen to me. I get caught up in my to-do list. I'm asked to do things. I'm obligated to my job, obligated to my family, obligated to my housework and general management. And once when I say management, just managing my life. And I just go do those things and let the year happen to me. I think it's one of the reasons it feels like for me life goes by so fast, or at least the year goes by so fast, because we just get caught up in our rhythms and routines, and out of nowhere, because we were not intentionally living life, we were letting life live us, life happen to us, we forgot to invest in it. We forgot to really be invested and a part of it, And I want to try to help us prevent that going into this holiday season. We'll start on that in just a minute. First, my name is Corey Truax. We're dedicated to smarter, deeper, and better talk. Thank you for listening to the Corey Truax Show on his radio talk and also wherever you find podcasts. I am grateful that you do. If you find the show on Anchor, on the Anchor app, you can support the show, even a dollar a month. That'd be great. And if you're not listening on the Anchor app, wherever you're listening, you can do that too. You just do it over on the Anchor app, and it's quite helpful. I was talking about that with someone recently. I know, I know I've told this joke before, but I, I want to bring it back up because I think it's fun. It said, you know, when people ask for sponsors like monthly givers, usually you give something away. You give away a t-shirt, you give away a mug, you give away something for your monthly supporters. And to which I said, yeah, so what my thing will be, you can reach out to me and I will give you the, way, the best argument against the person you're arguing with. And I'm talking about like in your life. So you're arguing with your spouse and you need to have your argument packaged together in an effective way. You just send it to me. I'll package it together because that's what I do. I package together information. I make the complex, simple, and the mundane interesting. I was given only a few gifts by the Lord and those are two of them. So gratefulness. Here we are. As you're listening to this, it's likely a week or so until Thanksgiving, maybe a little less than a week until Thanksgiving. And then from there, it's, it's a whirlwind, right? We get into Advent season, or as this culture calls it, Christmas season. And it's gift-giving, and it's Christmas parties for the office. It's Christmas parties for this side of the family, and then that side of the family. It's church Christmas parties. It's event after event, wrapping paper after wrapping paper. There is the pressure placed upon you from the culture to make this time count, but the way that you make it count is by making sure you had a particular amount of fun and... Your kids thought about you in a certain way that you got the right reaction from the right people, and you invest in this time. Well, I wonder if us, uh, if we, here the, the community that makes up the Corey True Act Show, if we could go ahead and start cultivating in ourselves, challenging our own hearts, to be, a, to be particularly grateful this year. I had several of you, again, reach out about my take after election season, as a, a voice of just of just being trying to offer some comfort and tamp down fear. Part of that messaging, though, was we made it, and we've been so we've been so persistent in making it. 
I just think about 2020. Guys, you made it, we, we, the, we the world, but here in America, you made it through at least hearing about, stressing about, maybe wildfires in Australia, through, to a, almost a war with Iran after bombing, the bombing of Soleimani, an impeachment, a pandemic. Consider that. If, if you have survived it or you, you don't know anybody who's, who's been affected by it, I, mean, I guess everyone's been affected by it, especially the economic ramifications. We've been through racial unrest, an election. There was actually, if you don't remember, there was an earthquake this year. You even think back over the year uh, and the people we've lost, like like a Sean Connery or a Kobe Bryant. You think back and you've we've all made it. There's some gratefulness to have. and But if we're not intentional... I think, again, the life can happen to us. The calendar will sneak up on us, and we'll just start doing all the stuff we were supposed to do. So I want to call you, call on you today to take a minute, take some deep breaths, and just start thinking through the ways in which you should and can be grateful. That does not diminish or ignore that the fact that no matter who you are, likely in your life right now, there's some real strife. There's some real turmoil. There's real hurt. I know there is. And when we stop and acknowledge the, the ways in which we have been blessed, when we stop and acknowledge that we have things to be grateful for, it does not diminish or demure against the idea that we have problems. The, the two can happen at the same time. We can be both totally blessed and, and so grateful for the situation that we do have while acknowledging the, the problems that exist. You know, that, that's not what this culture teaches you. We don't have a Christian culture in the United States. Western culture is post-Christian. We're post what the Bible would have taught. This culture has taught us to take things for granted. We actually get angry when stuff that really is a luxury doesn't happen. You got a problem with your plumbing? You, you, turn, the, you turn the spigot, you turn the whatever you call that thing, on your sink, and you get clean water something that billions of people throughout human history did not have access to without a ton of work. And you could just turn a knob. And if it doesn't work, I'm almost offended. How dare I not have clean water at the proper temperature that I want at the moment that I want it. Oh, I, I get that way. You turn the key in the car and it doesn't turn on. Yeah, that's a problem. I know. It's very frustrating. It can be expensive but there is some little bit of an attitude that this machine that I have that helps me go miles that all around the world or in the, in the third world, these aren't normal. And it's only been normalized in the last generation, two generations of Americans even. I hit the switch on my wall. Light comes on. I cook with an electric stove. I, mean, I don't cook, but I could if I wanted to. I, I live in, as I've said many times into this microphone, King George III would die to live in poverty in America compared to how he lived versus how our poor live, our lower to middle income folks. Yeah. He, you think King Louis VIII, is it eighth? King Louis VIII would rather be king of France at his standard of living or would he rather be a middle to lower class person in the hills of Wyoming? What a world. What a world we have. It's got so much comfort and so much ease. 
and we take it for granted. The attitude isn't, oh man, I have clean water at whatever temperature that I want. I have electricity that's fairly affordable. It's not, it's not even costing me all that much. I get around, I have, I'm able to travel, and I'm free. This is just our physical blessings. The physical world in which we live that we take for granted instead of instead of being thankful for it. But this culture tells you, take it for granted. You, be, be dissatisfied. We have a dissatisfied culture. It tells you constantly, things are bad. You should be angry. Be angry at the system. You're entitled to something better. You're entitled to something different. So get riled up all the time. We have a culture telling you to be dissatisfied. And if we would take that breath, we will have this moment of clarity. There's a lot for which we should be thankful. And I just give you there the physical gifts, our homes, our general freedom, general safety and security. We have most of that in the the Western world. That we don't go to bed hungry. That when we need to be, when it's hot outside, it can be cold inside. When it's cold outside, it can be hot inside. That most of us live with enough, enough extra income that we spend too much, too much of it on pets. Most of us have enough extra income that we go on trips to places we've never been before because just because we want to see them. All the physical blessings. That is before getting into the spiritual blessings. At Beachwood Church, where I get to serve as pastor for teaching, by the way, Beachwood Church meets on Sunday mornings in Greenville, South Carolina at 1030. And if you don't have a church home, you're invited. We sang Great Is Thy Faithfulness Sunday. There's a line near the end there that says, uh, now I'm trying to do it in my head and I can't get there, but it's uh, 10,000 beside. So it's, it's naming all of these blessings and a pardon for sin, a peace that endureth, uh, the, your own dear presence to cheer and to guide, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. So all of those, all those are blessings individually. We have all that stuff. And then it ends with and 10,000 and 10,000 more beside. These are spiritual blessings. Outside of just the physical that I have itemized here, we get the Bible. I mean, I look out at a world that is it's just standing on sand. They often, they often don't even know how to argue because they don't know what the rubric's going to be. They don't know how to measure truth against truth claim, truth claim against truth claim. Where we have this clarity, well, we just go to Scripture. Scripture settles it. We've got a referee here, and it's the Bible. We get the church in a world that's very lonely, in a world that's very transient. We have a worldwide, timeless family to be a part of. We have a, the gift of the Holy Spirit that continues to t- show me and will show you all the ways, the ways in which our flesh is wrecking us and ruining our lives. And we can grow. We can see that flesh diminished and the spirit in us magnified. There's so many spiritual blessings we get. We get the church, that those all those brothers and sisters. We get those. We get that blessing. You know, I I look at the the context of the time we live in, and the world around us, and just know I am a very blessed man. So here's my challenge to you. 
as we enter this holiday season. There are temptations. One temptation is just towards that busyness I talked about. Life just happening to you. And not taking a moment to just breathe. Soak something in. Be thankful for it. I would imagine because of the typical age range of my listenership, I could give this analogy, and it's going to work for most of you. There's an episode of The Office where I would say two of the three main characters, Pam and Jim, uh, these two are going to get married up near Niagara Falls. And they do this very sweet thing where at random moments throughout this weekend leading up to the wedding, they put their hands over their face like they have a, one of those old cameras where you actually hit the button on top and take a picture of the moment. They decide to intentionally be looking as the weekend goes, what are the moments I want to remember? And go through this little ritual of actually taking a mental picture of the moment. I wonder if you would just prepare in that way. Prepare for the busyness to try to overtake you, but you're not going to let it. Prepare for people in your life to be ungrateful. Prepare for your kids to be ungrateful for how awesome their Christmas is or having to go to someone's house they didn't want to go to. And just prepare yourself for it and be okay with it. And thank the Lord that you have healthy kids. That's all I'm asking you to do today. I'm going to try to do it in my own heart. We're coming into this season where a lot of things are going to tell us that we were entitled to something better. But we can't believe things turned out this way. And each time those come up, here's a, a, ha- a happiness hack. Hack your way to happiness. Do it this way. Every time that you are tempted towards being entitled, choose thankfulness. Choose gratefulness. It is the right thing. It's also the thing that's going to make you happier. When we come back, I do have some more concrete things to give you. We'll talk a little bit more of how the election 2020 fallout affects the credibility of the Christian believer in the United States. We'll do that and more when you come back for the rest of the Corey Truax Show. As I mentioned last last week, yes, that's Christmas music. No, I'm not sorry. We're going to be doing it all the way to the end of the year. And that is the unquestionable best Christmas song right there, Oh Holy Night. Welcome back to the Corey Truax Show on his radio talk or wherever you find podcasts. Thank you for sticking with us. I want to talk about credibility. In the aftermath of election 2020, one of the things I became, I began to, I began to ruminate on was how people's reactions to it, I'm talking about people in the public and just the random Christian on social media, in particular, I was talking about people, my people, talking about my brothers and sisters, how behavior can affect credibility. And this is going to sound like maybe some kind of handy, heavy handedness, but I'm just giving you my heart, guys. I think it's in part why you listen. I try to be transparent, even though we've, we've seen out of me, there's lots of stuff not to admire, just trying to be honest. I start to think through... What is my primary message when I finally get out of here? When I'm finally in the ground, what do I want to have had as my primary message, the thing I was remembered for? Well, of course, it's not going to be for trying to support any given Republican or Democrat or any politician. And I don't, I don't think anyone is thinking that 
out loud. Like no, no one's saying it out loud, and no one has internalized it that the most important thing is who I supported. But I think people have not thought about it enough because then not having thought about it enough, it allows some space to behave in a way that might be detrimental. And so when I think about that, I know that my primary message on planet Earth is Christ and Him crucified and resurrected. That the thing I hope I have as a marker of my life is that I believed that and promulgated its message. That I I actually believe God put on flesh, became a person, very physically walked around on this planet, thousands of miles away from me, across, across an ocean, lived a very real life, had very real hands that were pierced, very real feet that were pierced, a very real brow that was pierced with thorns, had a very real body placed in an actual grave and actually came out of it. Like this, that's what I believe, and it's the core of who I am. And so if that is the core of who we are as Christians, I know this. I want to make sure I have some credibility that the other things that I do, the other things that I talk about, politics, sports, pop culture, work, family, that when I talk about anything else, I really want to be careful about my credibility because the thing I'm saying that is the most important is Christ crucified and risen again. And so as I see... Some folks that I like and admire talking about election stealing, not skepticism, not count every vote, but election stealing. This election is being stolen. I look at some of those folks and go, you know, we have a problem here that you haven't, you don't have any evidence of that. And then you're also apparently going to go back to a watching world and say, I believe Jesus is risen from the dead. Okay, well, yeah, you also thought the election was stolen. So we have a credibility thing here. And again, I, I do want to give a distinction. As I said on the, la- on the last episode, every vote count, every legal vote discounted, whatever happens, happens. There's a distinction between saying that and actually alleging omniscience, basically. I know what happened. I know the true winner, even though you have no access to do it, and just declare it stolen. That kind of behavior, if you're listening to me and you engage any of it, I'm just telling you you're hurting your credibility. That those that see you post it or hear you say it, there's other things that you're going to want to say to them in your life that are more important than 2020's presidential election. And you might be hurting your credibility. Whatever you think your most important message is, if you behave in that way, talk about election stealing, you're going to hurt your credibility with other things. And so there's, a, there's credibility issues I'm finding with the reaction to this election. There's an, here's another. It, it's becoming less and less, so I don't want to talk about it like it's this big problem in Christianity. I don't think it's super widespread. But there, one of the reactions, the, pan, the panic and the fear that I've, I've been trying to help, I've been trying to tamp down the panic and the fear, It doesn't, it doesn't appear that we believe one of the things we say. We will go to church on Sunday and sing, My hope is in you, Lord, all the day long. We will read scriptures aloud or have a sermon preached that says, Our only hope is the Lord. There's plenty of psalms we could read through that says, That's where we find our hope for the future. 
And then where there is behavior that seems to be panic and fear over an election outcome, well, here we are saying to the watching world, our hope is in the Lord, his salvation, and him coming again. We say those words, and then what our actual actions and our other words portray or convey is, nope, I, I got a lot of hope somewhere else, and I'm freaking, freaking out right now because I'm not, the thing that gives me hope is not going the way that I want it. And so I, I'm just challenging you, I'm asking you, hey, the way you're behaving around political things, does it convey that your hope is in the Lord? And for a lot of you, I know that, because I know, I know personally 5 to 10% of you probably, yeah, your behavior is showing that. You're not panic and fear. So uh, be affirmed if you know. No, my, if, if you know your behavior has not conveyed to others that your hope is in politics and government, awesome, cool, that's good, good news. And if, uh, if you felt a little offended by it or maybe your conscience was pricked by that, all right, then let's turn it around. Find your hope in the Lord and in no election outcome. Maybe this is the, no, I was going to say this is the last directly spiritually related thing of the day, but all things ultimately are spiritually related. I had, uh, but it's, it's now related directly to church thinking. So I, I heard someone say recently, uh, uh, talk about their church, talk about their church meeting and just getting started to get back together. Here, and I'm talking just recently started getting back together, as in they shut down in March like a lot of us did, and now they're just starting. I'm, I'm, I'm going to... Uh, okay, I'm, Corey, be careful. Let me tell you what I was about to say, and then let me temper it, okay? So I'm going to say something now that I don't necessarily mean, but I'm going to tell you what popped into my mind to say. Because I also found out there are churches still not meeting. For COVID purposes, they're not meeting. Churches with like the size of Beechwood or bigger. And what I wanted to say was, if you are in a church that's still not meeting, leave that church. Now I don't. Now I want to immediately pull back on that because there's got to be some scenario. There's got to be some information I don't have. And I started this pandemic specifically saying of church leaders, don't do what I just did. Don't criticize each other for how you handle it because none of us know enough. We're all just doing our best. At the same time, we are now into this thing eight or eight months, are we eight months in to uh, uh, being affected? I guess it technically started in February. We didn't start shutting down until March. However many months we are in. We do know enough now. We know enough to know it is safe to meet. Very large churches are meeting. John MacArthur's church out in California, very famously, is meeting. They were meeting not distance and not masked. They had no cases for a long time. They got a little bit of an uptake here recently. Like, we have all of the evidence to suggest you should be meeting. This is a core function of the church. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. That's Hebrews something. Chapter 10? I don't remember. But don't, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. The pattern of the Christian is to get with other Christians, meet with other Christians, it's important for our growth. It's important for our accountability. It's a, just a command, a command to be together, worship together, exalt the Lord together. This is a core function of being a Jesus follower. And if your church isn't meeting yet, 
I, I said leave that church, but I, I would I do want to temper that by saying there, there's maybe some scenario, but that's your, like church leaders. If you're part of a church that's not meeting, I'd love to hear you. I'd love to hear it. Uh, Corey Truex Show at gmail.com, Corey Truex Show at gmail.com, or on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can look for me, Corey Truex, and message me there because I'd love to know the reasoning. You know, I even think about Beachwood. We are a, we're a small church. Uh, maybe, I, well, I tried to count recently. I think we were made up of most 24 or 25 households, maybe. So if everybody shows up, you know, consider most of those households are married with kids. So I don't know that what that number would be, but that's about our size. We've been meeting since, I guess, May. I guess that was early May. We started meeting again with some precaution, but not, not masked, not anymore. And a whole three people have gotten COVID-19. None, I don't think any can be directly, none of the three can be traced directly to our meeting. It, it's actually one of, one of these things, oh, I'm on a tangent now, but I'm going to chase it. It's one of the things that has confused me about COVID-19 management and mask wearing. Because I, I live in a state that has largely over the last couple months become unmasked. I even see it now. I think I said this to you on a recent episode. I walk around at a, a Walmart grocery store. There's just not a lot of mask wearing anymore. And then I know the states with mandates. They have these very aggressively enforced mandates. And the, the states are, are basically faring about the same. There's not a marked difference. And the messaging we got was there would be a marked difference. And I'm just not seeing it happen. And at the same time, I am given to believe smart people. I am given to believe and give credibility to those who have expertise in a given thing. And so when infectious disease experts say a given thing will be effective, I just tend to say, yeah, they're probably right. They know a whole bunch of stuff I don't know. And then I look at the actual result and go, I, I don't, something's weird here. Like I, I thought, because we had a laboratory going. We got states that are not really doing a lot of masking. We got states that are doing a lot of masking that should predict different COVID-19 outcomes, and we're just not seeing it. So to, now I'm back from my tangent to those, to those churches. I'd love to hear why you're not meeting, but it's obvious now that we should be to, for all the reasons I've already given you uh, to be getting together. All right, I'll jump off that one. Um, maybe, yeah, we'll go here next. I, I wanted to just talk to you, the listener, about this for a moment. I looked down at my phone one day last week, and it was something like 30-some-odd text messages. The Facebook Messenger app uh, had, because I, I did open it so I could see how many were there. I think it was four or five. had a couple Instagram direct messages. Not all of those were from listeners, but a lot of them were, and... Even that day I had the 30-something text, it wasn't even because some group chat went crazy. It's just a lot of people wanting a lot of things. And I am getting so bad at responding to you. Like, I, I got a really good topic from a listener named Adam. Hi, Adam. That I want to get to, not today, but in a future episode. And it just languished there. I've got even, like, I got personal friends who listen to the show sometimes. Guys, I'm sorry I haven't responded to you on given things. Life right now is, I think I am in a quote season, as we like to say in the Christian world, 
where life is happening to me largely, and I've got to get it under control, get the pace under control. So I just wanted to take two seconds here, like I have, two minutes maybe, and say, hey, I'm sorry that I don't contact you back as fast as I should, uh, especially for those who, like you're asking me often for like information, stuff for the show. You're trying to help me, and I don't, I don't respond. I got one message here recently that I don't know if this person is a listener, but like I, I like that I get someone who just, uh, someone who writes and says, hey, I was listening to a sermon that's this guy this, who was preaching said, parables are not analogies, and I can't figure out if I agree with that or not. What do you think? I'm actually honored by that. I'm just honored that someone would go, hey, I know that guy knows stuff. I'm going to send him that and see what he thinks. So I'm grateful that you do. I'm sorry it takes me so long to respond. Tell you this, the the faster more of you start giving to the show regularly, I'm just kidding, but that would help me to do it full time instead of having to split my time between all this stuff I do. I might take an early break here. No, I won't. Let's go ahead and get started. I do want to talk about not election 2020. I don't want to adjudicate that, but now that it's over or winding down, I do have some quick thoughts on voting moving forward. And I really do want some feedback on this from those of you who listen, who have an opinion. You can give me at Corey Truax show at gmail.com, Corey Truax show at gmail.com or on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. I am, I am given to freedom. That's my orientation. My orientation is leave people alone, let people do what they're going to do. And I, I have, because of that, I was not as upset or skeptical of mail-in voting as other people because my idea is, well, let people be free. If they want to mail in their vote, let them mail in their vote. I showed you some, some skepticism around universal mail-in voting. The idea of sending everyone a ballot seemed like a bad idea. But now that 2020 has happened... I'm leaning more and more to saying what should be the case is you must show up to vote. Like there is no such thing as non-in-person voting. And I, in the scenario, I would like to maybe make election day like the final day to vote and make it like election month. Open up polls for like four weeks for early voting not even call it absentee. It is early voting. People that have every, no reason that they can't come on actual election day, but to, to keep down on lines, let's spread it out some and have a long voting time frame. But I, I did see enough in this process that it just tells me mail-in voting is, I'm not saying there's a lot of fraud. I don't believe that. I'm saying it has too much potential for problems. Like it, it is a problem that someone who was a legitimate voter on a voter roll who tragically dies in September is mailed a, va- mailed a ballot in October. Maybe even the person who ordered a, ordered a, a, a mail-in absentee ballot in September has a tragedy, dies in October, but before he or she died, they mailed it back in. So, like, on, on election day, that person 
would not have been there to vote. Like it's, I know that's a very morbid one. And then there, there are others. I mean, the, the, I actually didn't know that we were just doing signatures. Like the way we are verifying votes are signatures? Or, we're counting on penmanship? And then who, who gets to judge if a signature is close enough to another signature? Like, it's not handwriting experts from law enforcement. It is folks that are maybe unqualified to judge whether or not someone's signature on one document is matching an, another signature well enough to say, I can verify this is this person. And so going forward, there, I, there are some things I, I want to do in the pro- proceeding years that if we had to do mail-in voting, I have some thoughts, but I think I'm leaning towards just saying it. If you're going to vote, you have to show up. You have to come to a building sometime three or four weeks before the election day or election day itself. I would say vote with an ID. It has to be a photo identification. States get to make their own choices on that, by the way. So there there can be no federal law on that. But that's that's where I sit. That's what I'm thinking. And I would love to get your feedback now that I'm looking back on 2020 and how all of it went. Uh, you can get me at Corey Truax Show at gmail.com or on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Look for me, Corey Truax. When we come back, I find that these times of the year, ending one year and starting another, but then also politically, as we're entering a new, a new world, I want to provide tools on how to build a worldview from the bottom. If you don't know much of anything of the world, you're trying to decide what your thoughts are. How do we build a worldview from scratch? We'll talk about that and more when you come back for the rest of the Corey Act Show. Welcome back to the Corey Act Show. This is going to be fun. Cody sent me something over the break. By the break, I mean, as I sit here at my kitchen table doing the show, I was about to start the last segment and I saw I had a message. By the way, this is not Cody Fields of the Westminster Doxology Podcast, which has been great lately, by the way. If you're not listening to them, let me commend the Westminster Doxology Podcast to you. Uh, That is with Bradley Cox and uh, Cody Fields and the Lutheran, who is Joe Ross. Yeah, those guys. So if you're not listening to them, I highly commend them to you. All right, so here's what this other Cody sent me, and it just said, have fun. (laughs) Apparently, one of the people running against... Uh, one of the Democrats running in the Georgia Senate race is a, is a preacher. He's like a pastor or something. And I didn't know that. And he's got a sermon here that he makes an argument that I, I, I get to engage now not with politics. What's about to happen over the next however long this takes is not political. This is theological. I'm doing theology now because that's way more important than being political. As I teased before the break, we wanted to build a worldview. I think I can connect this back to building a worldview, but... This is way more fun than what we were going to do previously. So uh, I think his name is Warnock, Pastor Warnock. If you can call him that, making quite the argument, let's go. I'm tired of all of these folk talking about socialistic medicine. You're giving in to socialism. And I really get upset when I hear Christians in the midst of this debate talking about socialism. They ought to go back and read Acts chapter 2 where the Bible says that the church had all things in common. We don't have all things in common, but certainly we have some things in common, and there are some things that you can't build a gate around. 
nice exegesis you have there. Would be terrible if someone wrecked it, wouldn't it? All right, one. one listen, I'll flub a scripture every now and then, uh, but that's not Acts 2, that's Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 2 is Peter's sermon, it's the falling of the Holy Spirit. So Acts chapter 4 is where all things in common, not, uh, not chapter 2 there, friend. Number two, this is an old, tired argument. Like, it's not theologically sound, it's not even logically sound. So let's take the logic really quickly. The logic is, 2,000 years ago, a bunch of early Christians voluntarily decided together to share their stuff, to take care of one another, to have things in common so that the spirit was, the things that I have aren't really ultimately mine. They belong to the Lord, and where my brother or sister needs something, I'm going to give to them. Where 2,000 years ago, the early church had all things in common, brought their things together, their resources together. So that's the fact. And then the logic is, therefore, the American government should force people to use their resources to do what they find virtuous. Something I've wanted to say, I say often to folks on the Christian left, knowing that I have listeners from that group, I, I struggle to see your virtue. I struggle to see your virtue in that you're being generous with other people's resources. And so one, the, the logic doesn't match. Some Christians... 2,000 years ago, chose to voluntarily bring their things in together. Therefore, we should forcefully make everyone make all things in common. Number two there, quote, pastor, end quote. You make an argument uh, that, well, we don't have all things in common, but we got some things in common, some things you can't put gates around. Okay? You want to itemize those for me? Would you like to exegete that for me? It, if you if you just want to proof text it, even illogically proof text it, it says all things in common. Okay, so why not all things? Why did you immediately draw some kind of line? Why do you think you have some authority to draw some kind of line? You're just making stuff up. From literally making up the reference to getting the logic wrong and then just making up a, a limiting principle that's not even there. I, 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 I'm all about limiting principles. I think it's a very important part of logic and reason that when you make an argument for a given thing, then what's your limiting principle? When, when can we stop using your logic? When does your logic break down and we have to stop using it? I'll give you just a quick analogy. I'm struggling again with this right now on COVID-19. The, the drumbeat on mask wearing. The logic ha- I've been, that's been, has been presented to me is you will protect people from a disease that might hurt them. Okay. When does that end? Because that's literally always possible. It's literally always possible that I might be carrying something that if I, if someone gets affected by me, that, so do you have a limiting principle? Like when do I get to stop wearing one? Not that I'm against it, by the way. I've been pretty pro of, of, of my group. I'm just asking for the question of the limiting principle, the logic. And so here too, there's not, he sets up some kind of limiting principle where, well, Excellent. We don't have all things in common. Okay, well, why? You're going to need to itemize that for me. Folk, folk talking as if they know what they're talking about. You- How ironic. Using words and labels instead of gauge, engaging in analysis. 
You don't solve the problem simply by calling something socialism. There are some things that we have in common. We don't ask people to buy their own police protection, their own fire protection. What? What? Why do I pay taxes again? Yeah, that's what I'm doing. We, yeah, we're doing it together. But I, I don't pay for the police and then not get to use them. I don't pay taxes for fire and then don't benefit from it. When we're talking about socialism, there's a lot of ways in which it is simply paying for something that someone else gets to use so they get to use more of it. Well, yeah, we, we have, we have some, I guess, some things in common. We've decided to put in common the, the public good uh, through, per, through direct, uh, direct taxation for police and fire. But even from the biblical worldview, as that's where I wanted the segment to be, we can apply thinking biblically through each thing. So... Uh, the, the Bible gives governments the, the responsibility to punish evil and to reward good, to, inst- to have order. All right? Well, that would be police and fire. Those are very specifically towards doing that which is good, punishing evil. That's the police part. And then restoring order would be both police and fire. Now, I could also make an argument that, especially with fire, that we should just that not be a government function that we can go ahead and privatize that. But, but law enforcement, there's laws mean government happened. And now laws, the existence of a law means a government exists to pass the law. And now part of executing and enforcing that law is some kind of agency to do it. That's not socialism at all. That's enforcing the law. The, the even having in common there, saying the police are something we have in common. I don't, I don't think that's true. The, I don't just think that's true. That's not true. Part of the function of having a government is having police to restore order, punish good, and to uh, to punish evil and reward good. Uh, and again, that's a direct biblical mandate for governments. The analogy breaks down in a thousand different ways there. But again, um, I do pay, even if I wanted to engage with that analogy, I do pay for me. I'm, I want to pay. I want to contribute to creating the agencies that can help put a fire out at my house. We decided long ago that we ought to pool our resources and pick up everybody's garbage so that free enterprise can take place. There are some things we have in common. Okay, uh, so uh, another really bad analogy to what he was actually trying to argue. He started with socialism. He started with, actually started with socialized medicine. Then he started talking about Christians who talk bad about socialism. Garbage pickup, not socialism. Don't, don't know if you guys have heard of Venezuela, if you've heard of the Eastern European countries back in the Soviet days. Don't know if you've, you've heard of socialism. That's, it's, it, you know, I'll tell you this, it doesn't define itself by police fire and, uh, and the, the picking up of garbage. But the, the, here's another reason why the analogy breaks down. Again, with the garbage thing. Uh, yeah, I pay and I directly benefit. We all pay something and then all get direct benefit of the thing that we paid. That's not even socialism. Like, socialism would say, hey, you rich people, you pay for everyone else's garbage pickup. But we all pay whatever fee we pay. It's part of the, it's part of the taxation. Like, that's not, social, that's not socialism by its definition. So to argue for socialism based on cops, fire, and trash pickup is, 
It's illogical. More importantly, it is not supported by Acts chapter 4 and the church 2,000 years ago having all things in common. That's a bastardization of the Bible, and that's the kind of thing that will fire me up. There are some things you can't protect yourself from by living inside of a gate. When H1N1 breaks out, all of a sudden people forget about socialized medicine and they go and try to get a vaccine wherever they can get it, however they can get it. I guess one, I don't know what argument he's making here. I can't pick it up, but two other quick thoughts I had to have. This is not church. So whatever you're doing here, I mean, we call him a pastor and he's apparently running for Senate. By the way, folks on the secular left, what, do you, what about your separation of church and state here? He's up here using the Bible improperly, but he is saying we should have socialized medicine because the Bible would say so. All right, so you guys are out now, right? You're jumping off the train. You're jumping off the socialized medicine thing because it's a biblical thing. We've got to have separation of church and state. Are you going to be consistent enough to do that? Or maybe you're going to argue against his, what is an obvious misinterpretation of Scripture here. He says people are arguing against socialism, and then when an H1N1 breaks out, they go get a vaccine wherever they can get it. I, you know, I don't actually, I am not required to engage with arguments that aren't actual arguments. Yeah, that's a sentence. It, it makes some point, but it's indistinguishable, and I can't engage with something that doesn't actually make any kind of point. Whenever they can get it, they'll stand in a long line. They'll leave their gated community and make their way to a free clinic in order to get an H1N1 vaccine. And that is the end of the clip. Oh, Cody, thank you for sending that over. That was at least, that was fun to me. That does give me the chance here, at least in the last five minutes, to talk about the building of that worldview. How do we build one? How do we interpret the world around us as we're entering a new season of life here in the United States? It's a good time to recast our thoughts and understand why we think what we think. Worldviews are made up of these questions. Who are we? What's wrong? Why did it go wrong? Why is it so obvious that the world is broken? And how will it eventually be fixed? So who are we? What's our nature? What happened to break us? And how will it get fixed? And so from the biblical worldview, we say, where, where do we come from or who are we? All right, we're made in the image of God. Therefore, all humans have equal rights and honor. We know that's true. What went wrong? Well, we, the, the garden... The sin itself, human nature after sin is depraved and self-interested. How will it be fixed? Through redemption. Through every human being who is converted and moves from death unto life. Now, treating people more like the image of God, living more in concert with the, with the image of Christ on this earth, and then eventually Jesus' return, that will fix it. And then other worldviews. Take Marxism. You can go secular leftism here as well. Where do we come from? Uh, nat natural processes, and therefore having no intrinsic meaning. What went wrong? Uh, well, depending on the leftist worldview, one, one of them will be poverty or inequity, or at least inequality. Inequality happened. Property happened. Someone had something that someone didn't have, and because of inequality, it leads to strife. What's the solution? Power. Power is the solution. Give government lots of power and they'll fix it. Just get power. And so you build worldviews by answering those questions for yourself. Where did I come from? Who am I? What do I think went wrong in the world? 
and how will it ultimately be fixed? And so then you can encounter things like this, like this clip and arguments about socialism. His argument, so he, he, he's obviously saying, well, in the, well, I, where did we come from? We, and I guess in his worldview, maybe he would say, we, we came from creation, but what went wrong? Well, some people have stuff and some people don't. Some people need and some people have. That's what went wrong. And so therefore, I can go get power to do what I want to with it. That's the, that's the worldview. And it breaks down as an unbiblical worldview because then we'd come along and say, well, what went wrong wasn't just that some people had something and some people didn't have something because there's no condemnation biblically, for that matter, of inequality. Inequality, like unequal outcomes, is not biblically condemned. We might say, well, what went wrong is people are self-interested. And there might be a system here where someone's getting cheated or mistreated. That's a possibility. There's also a reality that people are responsible for themselves, that where charity and mercy ministry need to be taking place, that that needs to go human to human. But I do know this, that the solution will be us. The solution will be people doing things for people. It will not be for seeking out power to do what I think is best. It's also unbelievably arrogant. And if anyone knows arrogance, it's me. I think you guys would admit that. The arrogance of just thinking, I've solved it. I know what's best. We should do things my way, and I'm taking power. I should be given power so that everything should has to be done the way I want it to be. That's a level of arrogance that's hard for me to fit in my head, and I can fit a lot of arrogance in my head. You'll know, you know this. You've been listening to me for a long time. Uh, so again, thank you, Cody, for sending that clip in. I guess I'll monitor some of those Georgia races as time gets closer, but apparently that guy is one of the Democratic nominees for Senate and has a a really bad Bible reading for how the Bible interacts with socialism. If you have feedback, you can get me at CoreyTruexShow at gmail.com, CoreyTruexShow at gmail.com, or find me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Follow along there. I hope you will. I'll be back with another new edition of the show next week on the podcast and on his radio talk. Until then, everybody, peace and love.